Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. My prayer is that it will enlarge your image of God, that you'll see God differently, more accurately, you'll get a fuller picture of what he's really, really like that you will also uh, experience God more deeply uh, because that's what he wants. He's not a distant God. He wants us to know him intimately. And also I want it to have a bit of an impact on how you go about serving God. If if you're a Christian and you want to please God, then there's some keys here on how to serve him really well. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning and you've come principally because... Uh, you wanted to be with your uh, friends or family uh, to be here to uh, give thanks for their children and pray for them. I, I want you to get something out of this as well. I want you to know that the God that we've been worshipping this morning and the God that we're praying that our children will grow up to know is a good God. He's a very good God. He's a good, good Father. That's what he's like. So knowing God as Father... Uh, is what we're going to be doing. Now, um, three main headings. We're going to look at um, the fact that family itself is God's idea. We're going to look at how God has a plan for extending his family and including in his family uh, all sorts of people from all over the world in every generation. And finally, we're going to look at actually knowing God as Father and what he's like and how we can be closer to him. And there's some of the challenges that come to that as well. So we're going to start with family is God's idea. Family itself is is under attack, isn't it, from all sorts of different ways. It's pretty tough raising a family. And families uh, are, are challenged in all sorts of ways. And it's, even the whole idea of family is sometimes questioned. There are some who would say that, you know, that the, the nuclear family that we value so highly is just a, a kind of a, a, a recent middle class invention. And, uh, and, the, and the very premise of family is un, under attack. But family, I want you to know, is God's idea. It's God's plan. And in fact... Uh, he gives us the prototype for family. And we're going to look, the first uh, passage in the Bible that we're going to look at is in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul talks about the Father, and that's God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every family that's ever existed exists because God himself is a father. It was his idea. Family comes from God. In fact, the, there's a little kind of sub note in some of your Bibles, which I've put there on the screen, which says that the Greek word that is used in this, this text for family, patria, is derived from the Greek word for father, uh, pater. So, God himself, as father, has given his name to fatherhood and family for the whole human race. It didn't start with us. It started with him. And 
That's because God is not, although he is one God, he's a God that exists as a family. So that on the next slide, I've just put there that he is one God who lives in, exists as an eternal family, an eternal community of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we know uh, uh, this as the Trinity. And if you, if, if you hear the, f- the phrase, the Trinity, it's the Father, Son, the Spirit, not three gods, one indivisible God who exists and has always existed for eternity in community, a God who is not lonely. Sometimes people get the idea that God created the world and created us because he was so lonely, existing there for 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 you know for millions and billions of years all on his own no he has never ever been lonely the father loves the son loves the spirit the spirit loves the son and the father and the son loves the spirit and the father they are eternally happy in joyful glad exuberant family and community together and it's because of that that God created the world. It's an overflow of his love. It's because of that that God instituted the whole idea of family. It's an overflow of what already exists in in the Godhead, in this one God who exists in three persons. That is probably the most difficult idea over with. If you got it, that's great. Um, But just trust me, God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. So family is, God, is God's idea, but I want us to look at God's extended family because God, uh, God's goal in creating us was to draw us into that same relationship that he enjoys, the Father, Son, and Spirit eternally enjoying each other's uh, presence. God has, is inviting us to be part of that, to enjoy him as well. And so we're going to... Um, We're going to turn now to Ephesians chapter 1. So the same book in the New Testament, just a little bit earlier. And in Ephesians 1, it talks about God's plan for doing this. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. For he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There's so much in there, but what I want to first of all draw your attention to is this whole idea of adoption. And there's also a footnote in your Bibles probably that says that this phrase, the Greek phrase, word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. The Apostle Paul in writing this is borrowing something from contemporary culture to express something that was actually God's plan all along. The the idea of adoption And, and one example of that would be a well-to-do Roman family who had been trying, uh, or couple, who had been trying for a family but been unsuccessful. What were they to do? 
they need that they needed an heir. They needed a male heir. And what they might do is approach a, uh, a slave family in their own household, perhaps, and agree a price with that family to buy the eldest son and adopt that son into their own family. And then there's a full legal procedure for doing that. And that's what this phrase is referring to. And it's where that son, who was a slave, now becomes a free person. That son who was destined to live in slavery now is destined to live in in freedom. That son is now fully and completely an heir of his new adopted family and has everything absolutely everything that that family owns. He will one day inherit the estate. He has the family name. And his, any debts that there might have been have been cancelled. He is a free person. Will grow up to be a free man. That's what that term means. It's a, um, it was uncommon in Greek or Jewish culture, but it was common in Roman culture. And that's what Paul is referring to. And that is what God is doing, is adopting into his family men, women, young and old, boys and girls, who uh, were, in one way or another, in, in slavery and are now being brought into the freedom of being a child of God. And we know a little bit about... Uh, just the beauty of adoption ourselves. Um, Marissa and I have two children who I mentioned previously. They've grown up okay. We, we, uh, and they themselves have families. We have three grandchildren who uh, live close by in Leeds. And then we have two grandchildren in Leicester. Uh, Chris and Becky adopted these two little children, brother and sister, just a few months ago. And it's just been incredible to see the unconditional love that Chris and Becky decided to show to this little brother and sister. It wasn't on a trial basis. It's not, will they fit, will they be compatible, but chose to love them and make them their very own son and daughter. And now they have a new name, and, new, and now, now I... I my family name will continue through the male line. And, and, and these, little, these little kids, I mean, they, they have come into a new family story. Before they brought them home, Chris and Becky put on the walls all around the house photographs of their new family, of their grandparents, of their uncles and aunts, of their great-grandparents, and generations back, there are photos of the family that they've been adopted into. They belong to a new family. And they are unconditionally loved. And, they've got, and they will one day inherit their mum and dad's fortune. I don't know if it will be a fortune. <laughs> Whatever they ha- happen to leave. And, you know, to have your own children is wonderful. But to see something like that and to see that, that love trumps biology, to see that, you know, that's how, God, that's how God treats us. He loves us absolutely unconditionally. 
Now, when did this happen? How did, uh, it's, it's just incredible, really. Um, I, 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 last night, I googled what existed before the universe. Does anybody know what existed before the universe? Turn to the person next to you and ask them if they know what existed before the universe. Okay, what answers do we have? A good answer, God. Okay, come on. What are th- Anything? I mean, if you Google it, you'll find all sorts of stuff about other universes that existed before the, the, the Big Bang and all of that sort of stuff. But this passage tells us that before the creation of the world, before any stars were flung into space, before any big bang and whatever might have existed before that, God chose his children that he is going to adopt. Adoption, adoption comes before even creation. The, let, let me read to you this quote from a guy called Dan Kruver who heads up a uh, not-for-profit organization called Together for Adoption. Adoption was not a divine afterthought. It was in God's triune mind, triune trinity, the three persons, in God's triune mind and heart before the first tick of human history's clock. Adoption, therefore, predates the universe itself. Only God and his triune love are bigger than adoption. It's incredible. It's incredible. The opportunity that you have to become a child of God predates the, the universe itself. It's amazing. You were a twinkle in God's eye before any of the creation that we know. Just let that sink in. That is how much he loves you. That is how much he loves you. It's just absolutely stunning. Let's just draw out a couple more things from these few verses. He chose us with a goal in mind. It says here that we're to be holy and blameless. In other words, to be like him. You know, my two adopted grandchildren will grow up to a very large extent to be like their new mum and dad. They will learn their ways, their habits, their, they will learn their passions, their loves, their, their priorities, their mannerisms, all sorts of things. Their, everything about them will be influenced by their mum and dad. And, and God has chosen us to be his children so that we can become like him to become chips off the old block, to become more and more in our character and nature like God himself. He's perfect, and Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, perfection for us is a lifelong pursuit, and we don't get there easily, but gradually, bit by bit, we're being changed, and one day we will be completely changed because when we see him, we'll be like him, when this life is over. That's our goal. That's God's goal is to have sons and daughters who are like him, who bear the family resemblance. It says that in love he predestined us for adoption. 
not out of loneliness, but out of love, out of the overflow of his love. And it's an unconditional love. It's not earned, it's not merited, it's not worked for or achieved. When God receives you into his family as his child, it's unconditional, full stop. He adopted us to sonship, that's the the phrase that's used, but it obviously includes male and female. It's It's used there because of that parallel with the Roman Uh, adoption process. That's the reason it's there. It's not uh, to uh, uh, suggest any um, distinction between between us gender-wise. We're we're all adopted into sonship. And it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to know the Father except through his Son, who has existed with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity, but took human form and came and lived amongst us. This is the most incredible thing. The Son who is eternally free, the Bible says, actually took the form of a servant, took the form of a slave, in order to die a slave's death, Crucifixion was known by the Romans in cities throughout the Roman Empire as the slave's punishment. That's what Jesus endured. In order to set free, pay the price for the adoption of slave children into the father's family. If if you can follow the, the parallels there. He became a slave to set us free so that we can become sons and daughters. It's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to know the Father. Jesus himself, when you uh, listen to how he addressed God, he always, 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 with one significant exception, called God Father. He never referred in his prayers to him, never called him God or Lord. He called him Father. And he has brought us into the same relationship that he has with his father. In fact, he's now our big brother. He's our elder brother which is absolutely wonderful. And finally, it says that this adoption that God planned before creation of the world was in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why did God choose us to come into a relationship with him? For his own pleasure. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, it says that God actually sings over us with such joy. You know, when we were singing this morning, our songs were echoing the Father's song over us. He loves you. He loves you so much that he can't contain himself. He can't keep quiet about it. You know, we, we've, we've grown up in a culture where fathers are typically quite restrained, perhaps less so now than uh, when I was growing up or in previous generations, where to show affection was kind of just not the done thing. But God, our Father, is absolutely uninhibited in his joy and pleasure over us, his children. Because he loves us. And we're his. It's just absolutely 
amazing and incredible. So I want us to look at knowing God as Father. And we're going to take um, a, a story from the New Testament, a story that Jesus told. We're going to read it because uh, it's just so packed full of what it is to be in relationship with the Father. It's quite long. It's going to come up on the screen. So I'm just going to read it quite quickly, um, and then we'll draw some points out of it. It's often known as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And it's in Luke 15, starting verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's there looking, standing at the gates to the town, probably daily looking, keeping vigil. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This incredible story, well known to some of us maybe, and and just full of many angles on 
what it's like to live distant from God and what God himself is like as the father. Um, but there's a few things that I just want to draw out. Firstly, the, 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 the two brothers are incredibly different, aren't they? But actually, there's some real similarities. Both had real problems with their father. Their image of their father, and perhaps like our image of God, was distorted, uh, was um, just not a true picture of what he was like. For the younger son, he saw his father as a killjoy, restrictive. There was going to be no fun whilst I'm still living in the family, being held back. For the older brother, he saw his father as distant, a hard taskmaster, difficult to please. The, the younger son became a slave of pleasure and all his wealth was consumed by trying to fill that gaping hole that he had, that thing that he was searching for. Whereas the older son became a slave to seeking acceptance and security and significance by working hard, obeying all the orders that he was ever given, never taking a day's rest, slaving away. In fact, he uses the term slaving. All these years I've slaved for you. The youngest son, sin was his master, but it, it, I mean, it destroyed him. It, uh, he spent his money on prostitutes, but ended up destitute. The older son became a slave to, to work, a workaholic. Uh, the younger son returned home full of self-loathing. The older son, we can see, is absolutely brimming full of self-pity. And, and the, you know, touchy is not the word, is it, really, to describe him. Uh, he is so resentful. He is so angry, so judgmental so unable to accept others whilst probably uh, failing to, to look at his own faults. And so we, we see there are two ways to be distant from God. There's the ways that we often think of, which is to live a wild life, a reckless life, to pursue whatever sin might give us pleasure. But there's another way to be distant from God, which is perhaps more dangerous because from the outside it looks respectable. From the outside everything seems normal. This is the older son. He stayed at home. He didn't leave his father. He didn't take... But no, he's just as distant from his father. And the, the gaping chasm that he experienced in his relationship with his father was because he did not believe that he was accepted. And as the father says there in those closing lines, uh, all, you're always with me and all everything I have is yours. He had riches beyond comparison and he never even asked for a goat to have a party with his friends. He just didn't ask. And just as, as far and distant then as the younger son. But what we see of God mirrored in, in this father, that's his Jesus' intention, is to see something of the father heart of God is quite incredible. His, his amazing patience that he didn't give up on either son. Didn't give up. And God our father is so incredibly patient. 
The Bible talks about him being long-suffering, forbearing. God's amazing compassion comes through as well. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, his un, unconditional love shown to the returning son who's stinking, sweating, smelly, hungry, destitute, and just wraps his arms around him and clothes him with a robe and kills the, the fatted calf for him. God's compassion towards us is limitless. There is no bottom to it. We cannot, we, we, we cannot, we cannot uh, escape God's amazing love towards us. He is so gracious, so compassionate. And then God's demonstrable affection. He, he runs to meet his child. He wraps his arms around him. He kisses him. He clothes him. And even with the youngest, the elder son, he goes out to meet him in the field. You know, the father that we have in God is so full of affection for us. And it's incredible to believe because that may not have been our experience growing up. We may have had a father who is distant or absent even. He might have been physically present but emotionally not there for us. He might have even been unkind and cruel and, uh, you know, and left us with deep wounds and hurts. But our God in heaven is nothing like that. You know, he is the perfect father. And he can heal those wounds that we carry sometimes from our own childhood and our own experience of growing up. And God himself, the Father here, takes the initiative. He's taking the initiative. He's seeking us out. And I think, um, I think I, I'm going to just skip the next slide, if I may. Uh, and so the final, one more. Let's skip that. Let's just finish here. just want us to know that God gives us his spirit so that we can experience closeness and intimacy with him so that we can cry out from our hearts like Jesus did to his father without my own experience of this. Right? I became a Christian when I was 17, but I struggled in prayer to call God father. I really struggled. To me, he seemed distant, harsh, never pleased. I'd never done enough. I was always had to try harder. I battled with that for about five or six years before I came to a breakthrough in understanding that he loves me just as I am. And you know, it's been an ongoing, unfolding revelation of the love of God towards me that has absolutely set me free from... Uh, self-effort as a way to please him, of trying to do the right thing all the time, of uh, you know, just being able to run to the Father's arms and know that he loves me is perhaps my greatest joy, really. And it's by his spirit within me that I know that. Could the band just come out, please, and we'll um, get ready to close with a song. We move as, as God welcomes us into his family by this amazing thing called adoption where we who are distant become his sons. We move from, from slavery to sonship. We move from fear to being 
totally free and at liberty in the presence of God. We move from being orphans to heirs. All the Father's riches are ours in Christ. Let's stand together, shall we? I don't know what your experience of the Father's love is like. It may be that like the younger son, you feel you've really messed up far too badly and that you just guilt is your problem. And, you're, and you say like him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. It may be that like the elder son, you, f- you feel you're on a treadmill, that you're never good enough, that the father seems distant and cold and you struggle in your prayers to call him father. Or as the Bible uses a phrase, Abba, which is like daddy, it's like dad, it's a f- it's a, it's a term of intimacy. It may be that you just even, don't even know if there is a God. You've come here this morning to be with friends. And you've heard something perhaps that's challenged your thinking about the very nature of God. I want you to know he's a good, good father. And he loves you. He loves you as you are. We're going to sing together this song, but as just just before as just before we start singing, let me pray with you, please. I just want to pray a prayer that if it resonates with you, you can pray for yourself in your heart. Father, Father. seen this morning in fresh ways how wonderful your unconditional love to me is. I don't want to be distant from you anymore. I want to draw closer to you. I want to leave behind the things that have made me live like a slave. Whether it's a slave to sin or a slave to trying to earn acceptance. I want to receive right now your love, your grace, your compassion. I know this is possible because your son, who was totally free, became a slave and died the death of a slave in my place. So there's no condemnation and no guilt. I just receive your love, hand myself over to you. Come again into your family. Rejoice in your great love for me as Father. Amen. Thank you.